second series of Grace Touch. This is Coco, your host as always. Very pleased to be able to share this moment with you again. It is all about waiting and the prophetic. So some of you might wonder what could possibly be the relationship between waiting and the prophetic. Well, that is what I am going to discuss today. So, what does the Bible say about waiting? There are so many Bible verses that discuss waiting or that teach us how to wait gracefully. Let's read a few of them. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 in the English Standard Version says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So all these Bible verses will be read in the English Standard Version. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Habakkuk 2.3 says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Isaiah 40 Verse 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 130 Verses 5 to 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Micah 7, 7 says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Isaiah thirty eighteen says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Psalm 39, 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Isaiah 33, 2. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in time of trouble. Psalm 25, 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Romans 5, from verse 1 to 21, talks a lot about waiting. 
I'll just read a, the beginning of the, a part of it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. So it's about waiting, hoping. Psalm 52, 9. I will thank you forever because you've done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Psalm 135, so 130 verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Hosea 12, 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Lamentations 3.26 It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Proverbs 20.22 Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Galatians 6.9 In this version doesn't actually use the verb to wait, but that's essentially the message. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Isaiah 8.17 I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Psalm 37.9 For the evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Titus 2.13 Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I could continue on forever. Um, yes, I could continue in, on forever. The Bible is quite clear that it is part and parcel of being a Christian to be able to wait on the Lord and to do so gracefully, without wavering, to do so quietly, to do so with a heart's full of hope. We know the story of Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, Jesus Christ. So there's, there's plenty of examples of waiting, of Christians, of believers, waiting for the Lord, keeping their trust fixed on the truth that, the, that eventually God will hear, will remember, will act in their favor. And... When I use the verb remember, it doesn't mean he forgets. Yeah? It's just that God has not forgotten and that he will come through for them. Okay? It is hope and, and belief in God's faithfulness. The Bible also talks about remaining steadfast under trial, standing a test and being rewarded by receiving the crown of life, which will come in due course. That's in James 1.12. So endurance and patience our virtues are uh, very, very important traits that the Christians need to develop to, in order to have a successful walk uh, 
in the faith. And Lamentation says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. So as I said, I could continue on and on and on. There are over a hundred passages that refer to waiting. So now that we've looked at what the Bible says about it, it is quite obvious that it's quite the challenge. The good thing is that the Bible is very clear that the Christian walk comes with challenges. The Bible talks about being tested by fire, about being comfortable with the idea of suffering, about carrying one's cross, about dying to self, about crucifying the flesh. Uh, the Christian walk is compared to war. It's described as something that will separate members of the same family. So it is clear that it is a challenge and we are called to understand that and to get comfortable with that. So how can we do this gracefully and why is it so important? Before moving on to solutions that help us do this gracefully without losing hope, let's look at the reasons why it's so important. We turn to the Bible again. Let's read the parable of the ten virgins. So, Matthew 25, from verse 1, in the New International Version. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Right. So this was... Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. So let's just look at some extracts of that passage. We know the story. This is again an image of the kingdom of heaven, an image of Jesus as the bridegroom with a capital B, coming to get his bride with a capital B, the church with a capital C. Okay? So what differentiates the foolish virgins from the wise virgins? Well, basically, the foolish ones were careless. They took their lamps, did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. All ten virgins fell asleep because the bridegroom was a long time coming, because they had to wait. So what jumped out to me when I read this passage this time around is verse 5 where it says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I thought I'd look up what drowsy means. 
So the dictionary says it's sleepy and lethargic, half asleep, causing sleepiness, etc. So then I thought about Bible verses about sleepiness. And I remember this passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says, This is why it is said, Wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's something about waiting in a state of alertness. Waiting, knowing that indeed Christ will come. Indeed God will come through. Indeed he will do what he promised. And this is linked to our attitude while we wait. It appears from the parable of the virgins that even though all ten eventually fell asleep, the wise ones were prepared. So when suddenly the bridegroom arrived, they were able to go on their way with him, while the others had to go and find oil and came back and missed the boat. There's a lesson in this. At least being prepared enabled the wise ones to not miss the boat. So what's our attitude in waiting? What does the Bible seem to say about waiting, about the best way of waiting? We saw all those passages. God is really interested in our attitude of heart. There's waiting in silence. There's waiting with a hopeful heart. There's waiting patiently. There's waiting continually. There's waiting quietly. There's waiting eagerly. So it's really clear that the way we wait is really, really important. The way we wait, our steadfastness in keeping our eyes fixed on him while we wait with the right attitude is very, very important. It's about waiting for the Lord and keeping his way, as Psalm 37, 4 says. Waiting for the Lord and keeping his way, not straying from his way, not straying from his path. The Bible does promise us in Psalm 25 verse 3 that none who wait for the Lord shall be put to shame. And that's not the only passage that says that. In fact, Romans 12, 12 goes further. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So it seems there's the attitude of the heart. And the way we manage to do that is by being constant in prayer, by being patient in tribulation, and by rejoicing in hope. By casting all our anxieties on him, as 1 Peter puts it, with an emphasis on the fact that the mighty hand of God will touch us and bless us at the proper time. We wait until the coming of the Lord. Another passage in 2 Peter this time, 2 Peter 3.9, reminds us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. So it's about waiting, 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 waiting eagerly, waiting without being shaken. It's about patience. It's about knowing that God is God and that he will do what he promised to do. It's about knowing that he's good to those who wait for him. So waiting with hope, Waiting with faith, without fretting, is the key. That enables us not to forget the past works and blessings of God, 
but to wait for his counsel instead. That is a way of developing greater trust in the Lord as he prunes us and refines us in the wait. It's about keeping the right attitude and maintaining our joyful state and strengthening ourselves in him. Even if we don't know when the deliverance will come. There's something there about making the decision beforehand that we will be ready. That we will maintain ourselves in a state of readiness which then links to the wise virgins. Yes, they fell asleep because they're only human. They were tired. But they came prepared. They came with the intention of waiting for him, the bridegroom, and being ready when he turns up. So that paints quite a, a, a it's a picture of a, of a trained soldier, basically. A trained soldier who is prepared for battle, who is prepared to renew the, his own strength or her own strength. A trust, as Habakkuk puts it, that the vision will unfold at the time appointed by God. That it will not delay beyond the time appointed by God. I'm pretty sure this is not most Christians' favorite activity. But it is essential to understand that there's no other way. There's no other path than this one. It is essential for us to understand that this is the way it is because this is the way God wants it. Because he's interested in making us pure. He's interested in getting us to a place of refinement. He's interested in getting us to a place where our heart says, I will wait on you, Lord, no matter what, no matter what it takes. He's interested in seeing us get to a place where we say, I want you, Jesus. I'm squirming here. It might be difficult. Sometimes my eyes grow faint. Sometimes I fall asleep, but I will wait for you. So what could that possibly have to do with the prophetic? Let's look at that now. Let's start by looking at what is meant here by the prophetic. I'm referring to the New Testament gift of prophecy. So what is it? Is it like some Christians believe something that doesn't happen anymore? That has sort of gone out of fashion in a manner of speaking? That has reached its expiry date a long time ago and that we are not part of, privy to. The Bible doesn't seem to indicate that the gift of prophecy is a thing of old. Quite the contrary, the Bible seems to indicate that it is clearly for now, it's still valid and useful for the church today. If we look at 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 12, It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So it seems to be something that will endure till Jesus is amongst us. Acts 2, 17 to 18 reminds us of what the prophecy given by, by Joel in the Old Testament and it says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants, 
In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Okay? So, it is a spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance rooted in true revelation. 1 Corinthians 14.30 says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. But it is fallible because we're only human and the human prophet's perception and understanding and thinking of and about the revelation is fallible. Which is why the Bible instructs us to be open to having the words that we release, the words of prophecy that we release, checked, confirmed. Okay, so the authority of a prophetic word is not the same as the authority of scripture, for example. Because though the Holy Spirit prompts prophecy, it still filters through our brains and through our mouths and through our hearts, and thus can easily be misinterpreted. Okay? We know that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16 in the ESV version. That is not true of the words that come from the gift of prophecy. So what's this New Testament gift of prophecy? It's kind of a different category of, prof of the prophetic utterance from the ones that we know and have seen and read about in the Old Testament. There was a verbally inspired, intrinsically authoritative, infallible speech spoken by the likes of Moses in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, and Jesus, he himself, the living word, the perfect prophecy revealed in between. And the speech of false prophets, spoken presumptuously, without inspiration and liable to condemnation, as in Deuteronomy 18.20, which says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, also who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Okay? The New Testament gift of prophecy, this third category, is a regulated message or report in human words, usually made to the church, to the gathered believers, based on a spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit, from, for the purpose of edification, encouragement, consolation, conviction, or guidance. But it is not necessarily free from a mixture of human error, and thus it needs assessment on the basis of the biblical teaching and mature spiritual wisdom. So it needs to be double-checked, basically, against the Bible and confirmed by other uh, people who uh, ideally have received the same gift of prophecy. So the validity of this New Testament, Testament gift of prophecy works, is made stronger basically. By recognizing God's sovereignty, he gives gifts to whoever he wants. By recognizing that maybe not everyone will have this gift of prophecy because not everyone earnestly desires this gift as we are told to do in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, which says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Many people don't earnestly desire it. I mean, many Christians. And many Christians don't pray about it, which is another recommendation of 1 Corinthians 14. We need to be grateful for the gifts that we have. Use them to the full for the edification of the church. Rejoice that others are different from ours 
avoid all envy and jealousy. Keep our eyes on the giver of the prophecy rather than on the gift. So keep our eyes on God, on Holy Spirit, on Jesus, and not so much on the gift. Remembering that it has nothing to do with us. It is a gift, and a gift is by nature free and undeserved, particularly when it comes from God. We need to muster the courage to speak out what we believe the Lord has given us. Okay? And we need to have humble expectations regarding the way in which these prophecies will be received. The receiver or receivers are absolutely free to reject the prophecy, the word of prophecy, if they, it doesn't resonate with them. So, basically, both the giver and the receiver need to be spiritually mature and operate in love. And be ruled, or have hearts that are ruled and kept steady by Jesus, the peace that Jesus left us. Now that I've done a really quick framing of what I mean by the prophetic, the gift of prophecy, how can it help us to wait? Well, it's very simple. Waiting is often sitting comfortably in the hope of something that we do not yet know. It ties in very closely with the definition of faith in the Bible, which I'm going to read now. The Bible says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the NIV. And then the King James Version, the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we need all the promises of the Bible to be able to wait gracefully. We need the revelation of Scripture to be able to wait gracefully. We need the prophets of old, so Old Testament prophecy, to be able to wait gracefully. And beyond that, God in his infinite mercy and grace and goodness will use modern day prophetics to release words that bring us hope and encouragement, that remind us that we are not forgotten, that remind us to wait gracefully, eagerly, happily, silently, quietly, with a heart full of hope for God's promises, specific promises for our lives and for our circumstances to manifest. To break through from the realm of promise, from the realm of the spiritual where they are birthed, into the realm of our material world, our day-to-day, -day, our lives. So what I postulate here is that these prophetic giftings from God can help us to wait gracefully. We can seek God's face one-to-one. -one. But in his mysterious ways, he very often likes us to depend also on our brothers and sisters in the faith. Which is why I believe these gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ. That we will depend on Christ and depend together on him as well. Depend on his release of the word that is timely and good and right and encouraging for the season we find ourselves in, in different forms of shapes and, and shapes, particularly through the gift of prophecy.
I sincerely pray that this discussion has encouraged you. I pray that if you're in a season of waiting, the in-between season, the no longer where I was, not quite where I'm getting at, not quite where, not quite at my destination yet, well, that this discussion will encourage you. That you will know that you know that you know that you are not forgotten. And I pray that you'll be strengthened in your inner man or your inner woman. The Lord has provided everything we need for us to be able to keep our eyes fixed on Him. He does not lie. He does not change His mind about what He's promised us. He's faithful and just. He has blessed us. We are blessed and highly favored. He loves us with an eternal, unshakable love. Be encouraged. I will conclude with this Bible verse, which is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Blessings. Thank you for listening. Till our next episode. Be well. Take care. This was episode one of the second series of Grace Touch.